Thank you, opening team. Uh, that was uh, very appropriate songs. Uh, I texted or I, I emailed the team this week earlier on, saying, um, "If it's not too late, could you include another song in your opening?" And uh, they wrote back and said, "We've already included that one, <laughs> and that's the one we're going to sing at the end." So they are very in tune. This team, uh, uh, pun intended. Yeah. Anyway. So welcome everyone here. It's good to see you and those who are visiting. We thank you. we're grateful that you're able to be with us and uh, we pray that you'd have a good uh, morning. Special welcome to Terry and uh, Pat there back there. Terry's been under the weather, I guess might more might say, but uh, <laughs> more ways than one, but we're so grateful that he's up and about and being able to be with us again. So thank you for the Lord for answering that prayer. Let's bow and just uh, commit this time uh, to God and uh, ask his uh, guidance, blessing, and uh, direction for our time together. Lord, we are grateful that we can be here this morning. We are grateful for our Savior, your Son, who uh, gave himself for us and to whom we owe all that we are today. And we just thank you for his uh, radiance in our lives. And we pray that as we look at the uh, verses and passage before us, that uh, you would stir our hearts to refocus our thoughts, our our minds on him and uh, just be centered on our Savior. Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct our time together and may all that's said here and done here be in your name, uh, to your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. entitled this uh, talk, Cultivating New Life. And uh, I like a number of things about what I do and my job. Uh, I work at the hospital for those who are visiting. Uh, but one of the things I like about my job is the commute. That's a little bit strange, right? Because most times the commute is a, a weird thing. We live about four and a half kilometers from the hospital. And when the weather permits, I get out the bicycle and take the bicycle to work. And uh, I like doing that. It gives me a lot of, of extra bit of calmness, relaxation almost, uh, and some exercise too, but just to clear my thoughts as I'm going to work. And when I was coming home from work, I like the commute home too, because it's sort of like the day is done. I can pedal a little easier. I'm not late uh, like I am, and I have to really pedal hard in the morning. But, but uh, in the afternoon um, uh, on Friday, this is what I saw when I was coming back along the trail uh, from the hospital to my place. And I like to take the, the trails and stay off the highways as much as possible. And I was just realizing, this is pretty neat. You know, this trail, this is my, one of my favorite parts of my commute, actually this little old railway bed that I track along. And, and it just to see the changes over the very short time that takes place from when I first get the bicycle out and when there's snow still kind of covering that spot and everything's bare and stick-like, Within just a few weeks, it explodes, literally explodes into uh, vibrancy and life uh, as the leaves bud and the, and the flowers on the flower blossoms come out and then more flowers appear and the leaves get bigger. And it just uh, it's amazing changes that take place. So on Friday, I was cycling by and, and these flowers are out just along that trail. I had to stop and take pictures of them on Friday. You know, like it's just uh, awesome to see that uh, these changes are, take place. Now, how does this happen? How does, how does it go from snow and sticks to you know, blossoms and flowers? Well, 
the sun, right? The sun warms it up at this time of year. There's more sunlight and the, the forest is exposed to the sunshine and these things happen. It's just the natural response to the, to the sun's presence and the warmth that it brings. So springtime is kind of a metaphor for our Christian lives. You know, the, the renewal that should take place in our lives as, as God's sun warms our hearts and we should see sort of this blossoming, this vibrant explosion into life. So I wanted to think about how we might cultivate that new life as we read through this passage of Colossians. And the first thought I had was that we need to get into the sun. And that's, of course, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, again, fun with the other sun being referenced in this case. But how many of you are, are looking forward to the resurrection? There are not too many of you. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Well, I think we all, you know, look forward to that, right, in a, in a special way. But it might surprise us in, to, in many times that in the scriptures, the resurrection has already taken place in our lives in a one sense. We look forward to that final resurrection when we have new bodies and uh, and uh, enjoy that uh, time. But right now, the scriptures tell us that we already have been raised and we already experienced that resurrection. As Jesus was raised and when we trusted in him, we experienced his resurrection. And that's in- indeed what we read in the very first verse of this chapter that we're looking at. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. We could back up and go back to chapter 2. Sorry, I'm backing up the wrong way. And um, we could see that in chapter 2, Paul has already sort of discussed this ahead of time. In in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, You were buried with Christ and with him you were raised to new life. You were dead. Then God made you alive in Christ. So this resurrection effect has already been part of our experience as we become Christians, as we say to Jesus, yes, we trust you. We put our faith in you. So our resurrection life begins that moment when we put our faith in Christ. And we should experience then some signs of that new life, some Changes like happens to the forest when the sun comes stronger into the skies. There should be some leaves, some blossoms, some flowers, and some fruits. Does that just happen, or do we need to, to do something to help us with that? Oh, I just was going to read this verse out of the message. This, this idea that we're raised to new life comes from a number of places in Paul's writing. He's, he seems to make this a favorite theme of his, but I read this in the message the other day and uh, Romans 8:15. This resurrection life you received from the Lord, which is my next slide, received from God, is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with childlike, what's next, Papa? And so for Father's Day, that's a very appropriate verse, I think, so that we were looking... We're, we're supposed to be not just tending a grave. We are to be adventurously expectant of new life in our lives. So does it just happen? 
Is it just something that's automatic or is there a role that we play in this new life? The next parts of this uh, chapter just give us some ideas, I think, on that. And so backing up into the first part of verse 1. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. So this is something that we are told to do. It's something that we have a part in. It's not just happening on its own. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. Here's another instruction. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So how many are you looking forward to heaven? About the same number that we're looking forward to the resurrection. So I guess the, those bunch of people are really... And, and indeed, you know, when to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's a wonderful ex- expectation and hope that we have, right? To, to be with the Lord. But it might come as a bit of a surprise as well to think that most of the time when heaven is referred to in the scriptures, it's not really talking about our future place of residence as much as it is just talking about the place where God exists and where his will is done. Um, if you look at Matthew's uh, gospel, you'll find about 70 references to heaven in that gospel. Most of the time it's in the terms of kingdom of heaven, which Jesus came to start here on earth. And when we pray, we pray the Lord's prayers. We even heard this morning, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is sort of the the idea that heaven exists here and earth is here. The two are kind of separated. There's not a connection really between them until God made that connection when heaven came to earth. And now he is trying to have his people work to make earth more heaven-like in a sense. And eventually, in the final chapters of the Bible, we see a new heaven, a new earth. And that's when the two sides are sort of reconciled and aligned together. And there will be that uh, continuity between heaven and earth. So that's often what the Bible's expecting us to, to read when we read about heaven. And very little of it actually is, you know, the, the, the line that we've been very much in cultured with and brought up to say that, you know, like, you know, we need to be saved so we can go to heaven. And that's the, the purpose. But that's not the main drive, I think, of scriptures. Now, many of you have heard the old expression, he was so earthly minded that he was. No, so he got it wrong. See, thank you. No, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good, right? And that uh, expression has some validity if if you take heaven to be just that destination. Like, so that's where I'm going. Let's get out of this place. You know, like let's, we're 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 done here. You know, like this is this is not so good. Let let's get to heaven. And then if you get that mindset. You're not going to be really doing anything on the earth. But God didn't take us to heaven with him right away as soon as we accepted him. He said, you know, think about heaven and set your minds on the things of heaven. But don't expect to just disappear to go there. And I think we, um, if that, that expression is... Um, 
is is true if we think of it that way, but in other ways it's not. If we think we're if we are heavenly minded, then we should be earthly good, and that's what I'm hoping to to see about uh, to draw to draw us into here. One of the writers that I read said, "Heaven in the Bible is not a future destiny, but the other hidden dimension of our ordinary life." God's dimension, if you like. So that's sort of the stress of it. It's God's dimension in our life. That's what we are to set our sights on. So, in order to see this life explode in us, this vibrant life, we need to get into the sun. We need to set our thoughts on heaven, where Jesus is, And Paul says that that's important for us to have that heavenly mindset. We need to be thinking about the way that things are done in heaven should be the way that things are done on earth. And how can we adjust ourselves so that we make earth more like heaven? I wanted to just take a few examples of people that uh, I've heard about and just tell a bit of their stories. Now, Hatham and Walid are two Egyptian uh, men. Uh, they, this is not them, but these are two other Egyptian men. At least I don't think this is them. I just found these guys on the internet. So it'd be very unlikely that that's Hatham and Wally, but we can imagine them as being like, they were working together as painters in a, in a project. So they're painting away. Hatham is a Christian and he loves to listen to music in his earbuds while he's painting and he's listening to Christian worship music. And he has the annoying habit, though, of when he's, when he's doing that, he starts to sing along. And, you know, Walid was a Muslim guy. He, he grew up in a very strict Muslim home. And Hatham would sort of drive him nuts. Now, Walid also had this indoctrinated hate of Christians going on, too. So this Christian singing worship music beside him while he's trying to paint, it was just not, not good. So he actually hit him with a stick sometimes and, you know, stop that. Hatham, you know, like, stop doing that. But Hatham didn't get the point, I guess, uh, and he kept doing it. So Walid, uh, unfortunately, took a little bit more drastic action. Walid said, this is it. I've had enough of this Christian guy. This time he got the point. So he took a knife and stabbed him with his knife uh, and attacked him. But as he was doing that, Hatham turned and looked at his attacker and recognized his co-worker. But then he fell, of course, and, and Walid fled. And uh, well, he went into hiding. He went into uh, his, one of his relatives and he stayed there for several weeks without even coming out because he thought, well, I wonder what's going to happen and when the police are going to come for me. And uh, nothing happened. He heard that uh, Hatham survived. He was injured. He went to hospital, had to have surgery, but he survived the attack. And so Walid was now terrified that Hatham's going to he knows who he, he attacked. He'll he'll send the police over, and so nothing happened. Nothing happened. And after a few weeks, uh, Walid finally left his place of hiding, went back to, to onto the into the community. But it wasn't long after that he got himself struck by a car, and he was badly injured. His leg was crushed, and he was in the hospital for several weeks. He was there. Well, one day when he was in the hospital, guess who shows up with a fruit basket, or the equivalent in their culture. And, and Waleed went, ah! <laughs> he thought Hatham was coming to finish the, you know, the job, you know, coming to, back to kill him. He, 
And uh, no, Hathan came with a friend and said, no, don't, don't worry, don't worry. But uh, Walid was terrified. He wouldn't settle down. And finally, you know, Hathan just said, we love you. And then he left and because uh, Walid was uh, terrified. And, and then Walid was recovering and, and this other guy kept bringing him a little bit of money to help him because he couldn't work and the money. And he said, okay, where's that coming from? Finally he said, well, who's, who's sending this money? And, uh, and Walid uh, was told, well, Hatham is sending you this money. What? I can't take this money. You know, this is the guy I tried to kill. I'm not going to take his money. And anyway, so afterwards they, they met again when, when Walid was better and, and he said, Hatham, I can't take your money. And uh, Hayden says, but I love you. I, I want you to have the money. And he says, I can't take your money. So, so Hayden says, well, let's just give it to this beggar lady there. And, and Walid says, wow, you know, this guy really is, is serious about this. And so they became kind of friends, but Walid didn't really respond until later on, Hayden and they, they were working together again. And, and things became so late that it was late at night and they, they had nowhere to go. But Hayden's house was closer. So Hayden says, come on to my house and stay with me. Well, he says, no, no, you're a Christian. I can't stay with a Christian. But he finally succumbed to that uh, suggestion and went to his house. And there was a big mural of Jesus. And Haven made Walid sleep in the bed underneath his big picture of Jesus. Anyway, that night, Walid had terrible uh, night sleep. He had dreams all night long. But one of the dreams was that Jesus was standing there with him. Anyway, long story short, that eventually Walid became a Christian. But I wanted you to think about Hathan and, and the picture of life in Hathan's life. Like he was connected to the sun, right? He saw growth in his life so much that even under a threat of personal attack, he still loved his uh, co-worker. Now, that sounds a lot like Jesus to me, you know, like who, who suffered and, and uh, died for, on behalf of those who killed him. And uh, so, so Hathan's life, is sort of a picture of the growth that we should expect in, in our lives as we, uh, as we look to the sun, as we get out into the sun. So the next part of this uh, chapter was uh, I titled, Get Out of the Dark. Now, Steve, do you recognize that? It's too far away for you, probably. Steve's the forester. The, I was doing this work in my office, and I, my office looks out over the backyard, and, and there's these nice spruce trees growing really quite close to the house. And these things are in infesting the spruce trees there, the spruce budworms. And last year they kind of ate all the new growth right off the trees and left them just sort of bare sticks where there was supposed to be this nice new green growth. So this new life that's that's, that's emerging is suddenly gobbled up by this (laughs) creature that just voraciously, I guess not one alone, but the millions of them that do that, can can denude a whole forest. So there are things in life that, that sort of feed on new growth and that stunt it and that prevent it from taking form and taking shape. And uh, we can see quite a few of these listed for us in Paul's uh, next verses to the, to, uh, the Colossians. Um, I wrote the, them out this way. This is kind of my uh, mechanical layout for those of you who are interested in Bible study. Maybe you recognize that. But... Um, um, the, the, so you write it out in your sentences and you put the list in order and you get a sort of a, a picture of what it looks like. So this is these verses in the mechanical layout. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, 
worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, uh, sorry, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. I'd like to just look at one of the lists of, of sins that uh, was mentioned there, and that was don't be greedy. Now, it says that for the greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of the world. And if you go back to that list of, of things, the sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires, and that it, it all, all of them can be sort of idols for us. And all of our sins tend to be, that's the problem. We're putting them in place of our relationship with God. And so we're worshipping the wrong idea. But just think about greed as a, an example. Now, when we were not a Christian, we were, Paul says, we were dead. We were slaves to those gods. We couldn't do anything but worship them. We really had no alternative. But now, with Christ in our lives, we've been freed. And we can escape the darkness and come into the sun. So the song we're going to sing later, Our Death Was Arrested. Um, we you often think of of life as coming to an end. But in this case, our death came to an end and life began. So we are free from this slavery, uh, these worshipping these other gods. Here's another fellow. We know of this man. He lives in the Democratic Republic of Congo and he's a graduate student there. He's been struggling. He's a Christian fellow. He's been struggling financially to get this graduate studies completed, right? It's, it's a lot of expenses that you wouldn't expect. And money is really hard to come by in the DRC. It's a poor, poor country. And the people suffer quite a lot from poverty. So this man has lots of expenses for a graduate program. He's trying to study in order to improve his life so that he can go to his people and try and improve their lives. And his heart is in that for the Lord. But he's had travel expenses, red, um, tuition expenses. He has to pay some of his instructors to come and meet with him. And he has to pay to get his papers published. Even All of these things, like, you know, like they, have, they add up. So he's about to take his uh, master's thesis uh, exam where they, where they defend their thesis in front of a bunch of examiners, right? So in that, in that setting, uh, he has a friend who did this. And in their culture, country, and you have these examiners, maybe say there's four of them or something like that. I don't know how. I've never done this, but maybe some of you guys have. And they, they come and they listen to your talk and then they ask you questions. And before you leave, in, the, in order to get them to listen to you, you have to leave them something in their hands as they go out of the room. So it was $300 each for the other, the other guy paid. And that's just bribery, right? Like They're not going to pass you unless you grease the wheel. So what would you do as a Christian in that situation, facing that greed of these people? I don't know. You've spent all of this time and money to get where you are, and then you have to, to, to suffer that. But this is the part of the story that I like about uh, this gentleman. So he's teaching undergraduate students, right? He's, uh, most of the grad students have some teaching responsibilities. So he's got this class of undergraduates. Five of his undergraduate students come to him with a gift of a thousand dollars. 
thousand dollars. We just wanted to give you this so that you know you would think about uh, what you know we sh- how we should do in this course. <laughs> so he was being offered the exact thing that he was going to be required to pay. He said, "Keep your money, study harder," and that's what he told them. So you know, like this is where you know you could have greed and you could be infested with greed just because you're. It's all around us, right? But this this is a man who stands out because. He refuses to be greedy in that sense. And so his life with Christ is becoming evident because of his, his position in that, say, that way. So just a, an example to us of what we could expect to have to face and have to do in order to show Christ in our lives. So that's uh, that story. And uh, get out of the dark was that topic. So the last thing I wanted to just talk about was dress for the sun. So put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So put on your new nature. So dress for the sun. What does that look like? Paul tells the Romans something similar when he says... um, if you um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and we need to renew our minds, and Paul says it here in Colossians 2, uh, and be renewed, made new. I read somewhere that if we haven't changed our mind, then we must be resisting trans- for the transformation process because our minds need to be changed. Now, that probably is a, a statement that's sort of like, what does that mean? What is he saying? <laughs> but if you think about it, there are parts of us that need to be renewed. And if we haven't seen any renewal, we're not really getting it about being out in the sun, about getting out of the dark and dressing for the sun. So we need to, to, to think about what we need to look like as we uh, dress for the sun. Uh, we'll hear more about what that dress looks like next week when Phil talks about it. But this is a bit of a spoiler alert. In, in, in verse 14, it says, clothe yourselves with love. And um, Phil will deal more with that uh, outfit that we put on. But I wanted to talk about one more uh, individual who uh, shows a bit of this, this dress code that he's wearing. Now, this is Dawood Nassar, and he lives only a few miles from Bethlehem. He's a Palestinian Christian, and he lives on a farm that uh, his family has owned for quite some time. Now, many of the Palestinian families lost their land um, when the Israeli settlers came in and expropriated it. If they couldn't prove that they had a deed to their land, the Israeli settlers could claim it, and at that time they were given it. Uh, But Dawood had a piece of paper from the Ottoman Empire, with the deed on, on his property. And, and it went back to 1916. And so with that deed, he could say, listen, this is our land. We can prove it. And so the Israeli settlers weren't able to take this hilltop farm, only a few miles from Bethlehem. But apparently it's very well valued, and, and a lot of the settlers would like his farm. 
So you can imagine that the conflict that's set up here, this is Palestinian Jewish conflict, goes back a long, long time. Uh, these settlers have tried lots of times to evict uh, uh, Dawood, and his story is, is fascinating because he's taken a stance that says, we will not be enemies. We will not be enemies. And that's been his motto. And he made this farm into a sort of an international visiting place. And if you go to that place, you can visit him and visit his farm. And it's called the Tent of Nations. But the, the settlers have been trying to take his land and they've done various things like they've cut all the services to his land so they have any water, electricity, and they block the roads. And so they use solar power and they have wells and they, they live in fairly well-off caves, but that's sort of going back. They have these limestone caves on this farm that they live in. And the settlers have even tried to bulldoze things down and start building on his land, but he's been able to, with a fair bit of financial resources needed as well, to to stop these in the courtroom. So he's been able to take it to court and stop it. But one story, and there's quite a few stories, and if you go on, online, look up Tent of the Nations and Dawood Nasser, you'll find his, uh, his story and he, you'll hear him talking if you go to YouTube. Um, by the way, Dawood means David in, in Arabic, so he's uh, from the city of David and he's, there he is. Um, but he uh, tells the story of one time when the Israeli soldiers trying to harass the, the, uh, the farm settlement came and tried to break down the gate and they said that we have to come and inspect your, your premises. And so here they are, the, all, a bunch of soldiers smashing down his gate and he says, wait, 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 wait. If you have to come, that's fine, come on, but you must come and have tea with me. Have tea with it. Well, in that culture, hospitality is extremely important. So the Israeli soldiers were stuck. They, they couldn't in their culture say, no, we can't have tea. So in they go, they, he invites them into their home and they all have tea and they start talking. And eventually over the time of their time together, the soldiers became more respectful, started to act like invited guests. And at the end of their tea time, they said, okay, that's it, we, we leave. <laughs> and they didn't have any further consequences. But you can imagine the, re- the, the reaction would be in that setting that to take up arms or to do something, to become terrorists, to fight back, to, to disrupt this. But they... Dawood says, we will not be made enemies. And so that's their, their motto. And, and they're living out their Christian faith in a non-resistant, non-violent way in that sort of violent uh, community. I mean, uh, not the community, but the, the whole um, area around is, a, a, is, you know, we hear about the violence. That's all we hear about, the shootings, the, the rock throwing, the uh, uh, terrorism and wars. But here, just outside where the Prince of Peace was born, is a, is a man and his family standing for peace and living the Christian life and put on this new life, the life of love. They want to love their neighbors, not to be enemies. So we see that uh, life really begins with Jesus. We need to get into the sun and get out of the dark and dress for the sun. The song we're going to ask the team to come back up and sing, When Death Was Arrested and My Life Began, just speaks of that opening phase where we suddenly experience new life and we can have that 
in Christ as we continue to do these things that we're encouraged to do to see that new life grow. Thanks. And worshiping you within that song. We are so grateful that our death was arrested and that we've been made free and our life has begun in you. May we do what we need to do to bring it to fruition. May we be the people you want us to be. May heaven be a reality in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.